It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.
back to the Heavy Metal Mayhem Radio Show. It is the last show of April 2019, the 28th. We were off last week for Easter. I hope everybody had a great holiday. And we got a killer show for everybody tonight. So I'm glad you joined us. I'm not sure what's going on with the chat. It looks like Blog Talk Radio uh, put a new chat room in. And I have no idea how to use it. I'm trying to figure it out as we go along. So if I can't write back to you or you can't write to me, Maybe by next week it'll be straightened out. But we got a great show for everybody tonight. Sal Abruscala from A Pale Horse Named Death. We spoke with Sal this past week. We'll get that interview on. And Joe Hasselvander from The Hounds of Hasselvander will be on live in the second half of the show. Right there, Abattoir with Vicious Attack. Love those guys. Ten years ago they played at the Keep It True Festival. And we'll talk a little about that festival later on and some... Uh, Wild stuff, I guess, that went on there over the weekend, or some bad stuff if you're a fan of certain bands, but we'll get to that a little later on in the show. Right now, how about a band that played at the festival, Sortilage, with the title track of the band?
Forgive me. If you can't get in today, you can't get in. We won't let guests and anybody in. Just John got into the chat room, it seems. How he did it is beyond me. But I know I can't figure it out. Uh, I'll work on it this week, and I'll uh, try to get it back up and running for you next week. We're going to get to an interview with Sal in about 10 minutes or so. we got Joe House of Vanda in the second half of the show. This weekend was the Keep It True Festival. And I know I've been hard on that festival and other festivals, you know, for mostly trying to reunite bands. I mean, it was a good thing in the beginning when they were doing it because we were getting a lot of these classic lineups back together. But then over the years, they were settling on, like I always say, just a bass player from a band, just a drummer from a band, none of the original lineup, you know? So, like, this year, Cities went over there. And I have to say, I, I saw a couple of the video clips of Cities. And, you know, Sal Italiano is a great guy, but he's the only original member in the band. You know, Steve, you know, the guitar player, he wrote all the music for the band pretty much and a lot of the melodies and other stuff. He couldn't make it because he's been really sick. He's had problems with his breathing and his lungs, and he, and he couldn't fly over there and make it. So when he didn't want to do it, Ronnie Angel, the singer, also didn't want to perform without Steve. To me, that's what a band is about. When one member doesn't want to perform or can't perform, they had all the plans of performing, but, you know, he got sick. So he backed out in plenty of time for the festival people to know about it. Ronnie says, if he's not going, I'm not going. Unfortunately, A.J. Piero passed away a while ago, but cities have played with different drummers over the years anyway. Uh, but Sal decided to go over anyway with a whole new lineup. Now, I have to be honest with you, I saw a couple of video clips, and they really didn't sound bad. 
The singer that they were using really sounded good. I'm not going to lie to you. You know, he's no Ronnie Angel when it comes to the songs, but he sounded really good. Guitar play was good, but it wasn't cities. And I watched these people in the audience going nuts, like, what they're seeing. I'm like, but it's just the bass. It's just sound on bass. None of the other members of the band is there. Why are you so excited? You know, it's, it's like going to see Black Sabbath with just, you know, like, you know, Tony Martin singing and nobody else in the band. It's I don't get it, but... People go crazy for it over there, but Steve, the guitar player from Cities, wrote down that he was really impressed, like, how good they sound and everything, but he also alluded to them, you know, covering his music. Like, they did a great job of covering my music, covering, he kept repeating the word covering, and he said, I don't want anybody to think that I'm saying they're a cover band, because Sal's an original member, but these were my songs that they covered. So, I don't know, I mean, it sounded like it was a little dig in there, maybe it wasn't, uh, but that's how he felt about it, you know. Then you had Agent Steel, who I heard showed up like almost two hours late. Uh, he sounded like shit, John Cyrus, on stage. He has absolutely no stage presence anymore. Uh, he had his back to the audience more than he had facing them. I, I think they did maybe four songs, if even that. I'm not even sure, because I only saw a clip of one, but I heard they didn't play more than 25 minutes uh, after the set. Candlemas, the headliner of the show, couldn't make it because of an airline strike. John Cyrus's excuse was that they were stuck in traffic getting there. Now, he should have been in Europe a day or two before that because they had other shows to do that were canceled, so they should have been there. There was no excuse to sit in traffic getting to the festival late, you know, when you were already in the country. You could have gotten there in plenty of time. And, you know, Cam the Mass, I get it. You know, they were probably flying in the day of the show or maybe the day before, and that airline strike kind of set them back. But, you know, other plans should have been put in place because they knew that there was a strike coming, and they could have gotten it. So one of the headline bands didn't perform, which kind of sucked for the people that specifically bought a ticket to see Cam the Mass. You didn't get to see it. And then they announced next year's Keep It True Festival, and the headliner for both nights is Sarah's Uncle again, who played there two years ago, I think. Maybe it was last year. It might have been the year before that at the latest, but why is the headlining band from two years ago coming back to headline again this year? I mean, are they just running out of bands to put on the bill? I see nothing special about that. You know, maybe it's time to rethink about, you know, these. Fe- I mean, the place was packed like always. People do show up, and that's a beautiful thing and a great thing, but... You know, let's put a little more hard work and effort into like, getting bands on the bill that people want to see in their original lineup. You know, their original, as close as you can get to it, at least three of the five members of a band would help. All right. That's my rant about that, I guess, for today. It's all until next year when the next bunch of festivals come out. All right. Since we're talking about cities, let's play some classic cities with Ronnie on vocals, Steve on guitar, Cruel C.
with nowhere to run. Let's get an interview with Sal from a pale horse named Death, and I'll see if I can work at trying to figure out this chat in the meantime. Hey, Sal, this is Mike. How are you? Hey, how are you, Mike? Thanks for uh, doing great. this. Uh, it's a little early, but uh, yeah, how are you, sir? I'm doing great, man. Listen, it's a pleasure to talk to you, and uh, I go back to the Tuxedo days with you guys, so... Uh, Get out of here. No time. way. I still wow. got that demo Where you from 86. Are you in New York? You're in New York? Uh, yeah. Well, you know, I was born and raised in Bensonhurst, Brooklyn, but I've been in Staten Island for like the last 30 years after I got married. So you're broadcasting from Staten Island? Yeah. Right, we're just recording it right now. The actual show is on Sunday night, so uh, we'll play this on Sunday night. Awesome. Awesome. All right, Mike. Well, lead the way. You know, let's uh, shoot, shoot whatever you want to shoot. Uh, you got why well, you know I mean it's been like six years since the last record so I mean it definitely wasn't time wasting in a way because the new record I think absolutely blows away everything you've done and that's saying a lot because all the other records that's were phenomenal. That's a huge compliment. Thank you. That's a huge compliment. That means a lot to me because I was uncertain uh, what to expect. I was a little nervous when I mean I knew what I had was was good in my eyes, but when we sent it to, like when we delivered to the label that was the first response. I was waiting for, and uh, from that moment on, it was it was it was it was like wow, you know, like their first response was wow, this this is the most diverse record you've ever done, and it's and it's and it's you know it's epic, and that you know once I got that relief, and then the fans and everyone you know just hearing that is because at first I was unsure because I've been gone for a while, APH and D's been gone for a while, and and you know people forget. We didn't know what the response was going to be. So we're just happy that it's been received the way it has. And you saying what you're saying is a huge compliment, and it makes it all worth it for me. Oh, that's great. You know, like we said, like a five, six-year gap between records, but you were busy with Life of Agony during that time. You know, when you come back now to, you know, with this record, I mean, sometimes you put out a record every year, every other year. It can get kind of repetitive and maybe kind of weigh you down songwriting-wise where, where there's a gap, but you kind of have time to write, mature, think about what you want to put out there. You know, musically, a lot could change, too. Like, your interest and your taste, but is it more important to just take the time to put something out that you feel is quality or really has some sort of meaning to you than just, like, pump, you know, record out year after year? Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, I feel that uh, you need life to happen a little bit. Uh, the things, you know, this concept and this title I had since 2014. My plan was then to do the next record. I already had a lot of sketches. And what happened when Lay My Soul and Waste came out, you know, to to kind of like fulfill the story that you're, you know, the impression that you have about the six-year gap, my second daughter was born in the same year, a few months before Lay My Soul and Waste came out, and she was born disabled. She was born blind and f- faced with a lot of a lot of struggles and a lot of surgeries. So that changed me as a dad as far as like, okay, I I need a I need to be home. I need to do what I got to do. I gotta, you know, it was a, it was a big change for the whole family. And then at the same time, I, a, a year later, Life of Agony contacted me to do a reunion get together, and then I got consumed doing their record. That took me away from getting to the APH and D stuff. But the whole time, I had it on my iPod, traveling and working on this whole concept. And again, the title was in place since 2014, and I knew I had a great title. That kind of explains why there was five years. And then finally, when I came to the end of the LOS cycle, I decided I needed a change. I needed to move on to doing stuff, what I want to really do, because life is short. 
and I was dealing with some personal health concerns as well. And so I was like, I got to do this third record. Fans are writing me. People want to know. I can't just leave it hanging like this. And I, that's really, in a nutshell, kind of the timeline, what, what went on. And so we made the decision, I decided in 2017, that I wanted to reactivate. Some changes happened, but we did reactivate by 2018, the start of it. Yeah, when there is such a gap, I mean, is it a concern about keeping your members together? Because, you know, sometimes it's like, you know, we haven't done anything for a couple of years. So, you know, I got to go on to something else. I got to do something else. Or you have to oh, find yeah. the right guys to play with where they're going to be there for you when you need them. You know something? I didn't know who was going to be there in the end. You know, for a second there, I thought Johnny wasn't going to be interested to do it because he was so busy. And he moved, he moved, moved to Texas. So I was like, oh, man, he's all the way there. How are we going to rehearse? Little did I know that he's always back and forth, and he, he loves flying. He loves doing – he's a jet setter, so he, he's all good. So flies in, you know, flies in a few days before shows. We rehearse, then we go out and do what we got to do, kind of what we do. But uh, the one member change we did have was when we when we decided by the end of 2017, I was talking to Matt Brown, I was like, you want to – I want to do a new record. I want to, I want to do some shows. I want to get back to this. I don't, I, this is a story that's unfinished. And he had a, you know, different stuff going on in his life, and he was interested to proceed and get involved again. So I said, okay, fine. You know, we'll we'll get someone else, and that's what we did. We got someone else. We got Joe Taylor, who was Lita Ford's guitarist, and he was in Doro for a very like ten years. You know, he lived in Germany actually. And so he's amazing. And so that was the member change we had. And we took it from there. And that's, you know, all the sketches were there with the music. It was just, you know, basically arranging for me and melodies and lyrics. A lot of them fell during the year as I let out all these feelings I accumulated over the five, six years. Yeah, one thing about your lyrics, I mean, there's always this dog brooding undertone to everything you do, you know, everything you write and everything you do, but there's a lot of reality to it also. In a way, that could be kind of scary. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. And I do touch on a lot of, you know, there's, there's some stuff that's, you know, there's always going to be that one or two songs that's, that's is, is fantasy-like, but the majority of, especially this record, all touches on a personal situation in my life because, like I said, we we had a lot of changes, and we had family feuds going on where we didn't talk to family members for three years. It was just drama, you know, just a lot of crazy stuff. And then friends kind of turning south on me because of my situation. It's like, you know, uh, and, and even things that go back to as far as when I was a kid, I touched on some things that happened to me. But I put it in such a way as a poet that, when the listener listens to it, it's not specific that, oh, this is a story about Sal's life. No, it can be interpreted and it connects. There's always a line that will connect with someone that has something or has had something go on in their life that they totally connect to with that lyric. And I think that's what's different about us is that we're almost like therapeutic, which is what we noticed on tour. Everyone leaves with a huge smile. Why? Because we're like this place for like – Everyone, for the manic depressed to let out their feelings or the ones that are angry or the ones that are hurting, the ones that don't fit in, you know, the, the, the misfits, you know, we're all, and they, it's, you know, you get together in this room and you have everyone that has the same feelings hearing these lyrics. It's a, it's a magical release of, of 
energy and it's, it, everyone means happy and relieved. And it's been pretty crazy phenomenon actually going on on this last tour in Europe. Every night, everybody was so happy and people, you know, it's it's good vibes, man. Good vibes. Yeah. If you ever wrote a happy, peppy love song, would it be the end of the world coming or just the last song you ever recorded for the band on record? I don't even think I can pull it off. It's, it's like I can <laughs> joke around and, ha- and write happy-go-lucky stuff. And I make up stuff in the van just for fun, like commercial jingles and stuff. I'm really good at that kind of stuff, too, like on-the-fly instant lyrics and melody. And uh, <laughs> But I think if I did it intentionally, I would probably not be good at it because I, I like the dark side of things. I'm always on that, ah, Mr., you know, just I'm always seeing the other side. And sometimes it's not cool, you know, sometimes it's too much, you know, too much uh, dark or negativity, you know. So, but that's, again, you know, I'm I'm personally manic depressant uh, diagnosed. So I fight all the time trying to stay out of my hole. You know what I mean? So Yeah, yeah. Well, well, one thing I have to say is whether it was Typo or Life or, or, or a Pale Horse, you've never kind of repeated yourself with the music that you've put out there. You know, you know it's you, and it's like there's an amalgamation of everything, but when you started this band, you just say, you know what, I, I want to take what I did in the past you know, to a point, but yes, I want to go in a different direction. I think you kind of did that. I, you know, I just it's it's all natural, but I do like to experiment and I do like to incorporate things that haven't that are new or fresh. I'm I'm really influenced by a lot of good '70s rock, and I analyze a lot of every time I listen to a song. I, I literally uh, I just dissect all the tracks and I listen to how they write and the arrangement and and what they do with the key changes. I really analyze a lot of. You know, big songwriters like so, like you know David Bowie, or you know, or you listen to any of the good stuff from the '70s, or even even listen to how uh, Led Zeppelin or Sabbath arranged their songs. It's it just, um, I I, uh, I think it's really important to uh, to be as good as you can, and I try to progress and go to another level the best I can and not to repeat myself, but retain the same root core of where their history is and, and the roots are, you know, and my influences for Sabbath Beatles, everything I grew up with, with typo, um, you know, me and Peter would exchange, you know, music cause we got into the whole new wave goth era of the end of the eighties into the nineties. And so we liked that flavor as well, you know? So I try not to repeat myself, but but retain the core root of where I'm from. Yeah, you know, so one thing is like you've always had instrumental songs on the records. This one you went with like three or four, and, and I love that. There's a great mix of you know lyrical stuff to listen to and stuff where you could just sit back and just hear the music and see what you're coming up with. I mean, are the instrumental tracks intentionally instrumental? Or you just couldn't fit no lyrics to them, so you kind of made them that way. Oh, are you referring to the soundscapes, like the woods? And, yeah, well, and, I call them instrumentals, it, I, but yeah. They they were intentionally that was the plan because I did the the album it was me and Eric Morgan the basis of APH and he actually produced and 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 recorded the album and we when we discussed it we wanted to make it almost like an epic a, a conceptual cinematic experience where you just heard the song now you get to like get your thoughts together and 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 go for a curveball and we intentionally did you know as it begins. Uh, succumbing to the events horizon, the woods. We wanted to take the listener on some kind of head trip, 
before the next song came in. And then, of course, the last one, Closure, is, you know, an actual funeral going on outside and there's bells, there's birds. It's to give an overall body, you know, like an experience where it's not just one song after another, bang, 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 bang. So, no, we weren't short on lyrics at all. It was intentional. Yeah. I mean, like I said, there's a whole conceptual, you know, thing to this album, but it's not really a concept album where it's written in a story vein. But is that something you'd be interested in doing in the future? Because I mean, when you read, but when you read your lyrics and you see the way you put things together, there's there's little stories, little arcs that go. But would you put like a whole album like that together, where there's a story from start to finish? You never know. Possibly, maybe that could be an idea that that would be a bad one. You know, to to do one song into the other. You know, the story to continue from one song to the other. Um, that's a huge, tall and tall order. You know, that's not easy to to do. But uh, I think it's a great idea, and you never know. It's all based on how the band progresses, and as we, you know, right now we're entertaining the idea of we may do a seven inch to come out before we go to Europe in the fall and, um, you know, to keep the stuff going because it seems like things. So we might do a couple of covers and, and, and do something cool. We're trying to work on that. Um, you never know. You know, you never know, Mike, it, it, it's totally possible. Yeah. That's so how you've been doing this for a long time. I mean, you know, what do you think the biggest changes are in the whole business in general, when you got started in the 80s till now, I mean, I mean, not just making music, uh-huh. but I mean, there's a business part of it grinds you down more now than it did 20 or 30 yeah, years ago. It, yeah, it does. It does. You know, you know what it is when you're older, you get you get tired of hearing the bullshit too. Oh, excuse me, you get tired of hearing the BS, and yeah. uh, you you know, you have less sometimes less patience also because you've been through it so many times. You know how it's supposed to go. You get some young guy trying to tell you how it goes and it's like, you know, you're twice his age, things like that, you know, but it's what I, being from the nineties and the eighties and the nineties, you know, I'm the, we're the generation that saw the height and, and the CDs, you know, and, and, and changeable sales and um, to see this whole MP3 era come in as you know, it was, we just watched it come in, you know, we weren't born into it. Uh, how the artist gets kind of jipped and, uh, you know, by all the streaming sites and how they get paid so little in comparison to, you know, a million streams, you know, uh, it's ridiculous, the the, the payout that they do. And um, I feel that needs to be controlled and something has to be done about that because too many artists are, you know, being ripped off. And I think that's terrible. And I think this whole disposable, I blame, you know, the whole iTunes thing when it kicked in, the whole idea that, you know, people can go and buy one song for 99 cents has ruined album sales also because people will go and just buy one song because they want to, like, spend 10 bucks and buy, like, 10 songs from 10 different artists, you know? And it's not good. It's not good. Back in the day, you liked a song or two, you still bought the album. You know, you still count it as a sound scan, it counted as a sale, it counted as a unit. Now there's no way, it's all, it's very virtual. It's hard to keep, uh, even though they have tracking systems, it's still, you never, it's it's inaccurate. No, I know, that's true. And, and the downloading part of it, like I said, for 99 cents for a song, none of that money really ever filters into the artist's hands. So they rely on merchandise and having to over tour. 
and that comes draining too, especially for people that don't want to be out on the road eleven months a year trying to earn a dollar. Uh, exactly, exactly, and that's the thing, you know, you you can't. Uh, it's 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 brutal now, and it's so disposable because now it seems like the life of a record on average is six weeks for any band right out of the gate releasing it, you know. And then if if you're a big big band, of course you're gonna get some longer, you know, mileage out of it. But you know, standard like for average size independent, you know, bands on labels, six weeks the radio campaign's over, you know, and. It, 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 the people have ADD. They they hear the song and then and then they're on to the next. You know, it, it's it's just too disposable now. Uh, it's 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 not cool. It's just it's it's not cool in my book. No, it's not. But you know what? That it's sort of like that for the entire entertainment industry. I mean, if you remember back in the seventies and the early eighties when you went to a movie, that movie would be in one movie theater with one screen for about four months playing to audiences every night. A movie comes out today, yep. three weeks later, you don't hear about it no more. I mean, I don't know if we're just yep. overwhelmed with you know uh, technology or, or, or social media or, or people, like you said, people have short attention spans today. You don't grab them the first day; it's over. Yes, sir. Um... Uh, exactly, it, you nailed it on the head. Uh, it's sad. It's sad. You know, movies. Yeah, they they start becoming bootleg downloads on you know in a matter of days, and and, and they last a couple of weeks in the theater and they're gone. When I was a kid, what was it? Empire Strikes Back. Yeah, I was there for five months. You know, yeah. six months without a without a problem. You know, just the the Star Wars stuff back then was like uh, you know probably a year for you know it was always up. It was always there. You know, yeah. and uh, where I grew up in Brooklyn, it was two theaters, and you know, you'd see those same movies up for you know a long time, and it was only two choices. Uh, so, that's it. <laughs> that's it. That's what you get. You're right you, know? about that. you don't get upset. That's it. So uh, yeah, it things have changed dramatically. And you're right. Too much information is in too many people. You know, people have too much access to too much information. So their brains are so, they're scattered. They're scattered all over the place. Uh, you know, so ADD is is running rampant, I guess, in, now. Because I never heard of this ADD stuff when I was growing up in the 70s, you know, sure. 80s. Who, who talked about it? You got a smack if you didn't pay attention. You understand? You know, <laughs> that's if, you, right. <laughs> if you didn't pay attention, you got to smack, and that's it. And that I never paid it. attention. That was sure it. Did. That woke you up, and it was done. Yep. You know, so. <laughs> Anywho, you got that right. Uh, hey, listen, I would rather have got a smack from my father than a wooden spoon from my mother, so I was always happier. <laughs> oh, those were, well, judging by your last name, I, I'm sure you experienced something similar where. They would throw those things like Chinese stars with the slippers and oh, everything. Yeah. <laughs> and I used to run and slide under the bed in my bedroom. I'd be running from my mother. I'd slide under the bed. You'd hear everything hitting the bed. Ba-dam, ba-dum, ba-dam, ba-dam. You know, like like just those things were flying, you know, like Chinese stars. Just, That's right. Just, you know, now I laugh. Now I laugh. <laughs> you have to. That's all you can do. It's the world we lived in. That's, That's how you... we grew up, you know, being Italian That's from Brooklyn. It. That's the way it went. You know exactly, but, but you know thing. what? I'm I'm glad. I'm glad. You know why? Because I have the utmost respect for my elders, and I have proper etiquette, and I I uh, you know I'm glad for that. And I try to instill that in my kids. You know, my my I, I had kids late, so my daughter's eight years old. Yeah, so I'm trying to instill that in her. 
But it's it's a different world what these kids are doing. They're born into this Xbox. They're born into all this computer stuff. That's all she is is on the laptop playing these. Uh, it's 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 hard to get through sometimes. So it's a different ball game. But there you go. It is. You know, you talk about, you know, like attention spans and stuff like that. And, you know, is that affect you as a songwriter? Because you feel like, you know, hey, listen, I got to write a song where if I don't grab these, you know, new listeners that aren't fans or know the band right away, I'm going to lose them. Or do you just kind of have to write the way you always write and take people along for the ride? You know what, dude? I don't give I don't give a, 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 a you can crap. Curse. It's all right. Um, I don't give a, I don't give a crap about catering to a um, genre or trying to be keeping up with other bands or try to sound what's happening at the moment because that's a, to me that's a waste of time. First of all, you got to be yourself. Write what you like, play what you like, and be yourself because that in the long run will keep you going longer than trying to follow some trend because then when the trend's over, you're over. You know, that's what happens with some of these bands. You know, they get really hot. And then they go fight, and then they disappear. You know, um, I, I don't care. When I write a song, whatever catches my ear, the ear candy, all that stuff, whatever I gravitate to, it is what it is. How people perceive it and how they label it, you know, that's up to that's you know that's that's whatever. You know, they, they, they can call it what they want. You know, some call it doom, some call it uh, new uh, goth metal, some call it uh, this hard rock. You know. Whatever it is, but I just write what I write, and I think with that attitude, you're always going to sound unique in your way because you're not following nobody's shoes. You're making your own road, and I I think that's the best advice that bands can take, you know, from the last 10, 30 seconds of me talking is just do what you do and just be as good as you can be at your craft and your instrument and constantly learn. Knowledge is the key to to getting, you know, also being a great musician. So that's my 10 cents. You got to sell. I know you got a whole bunch of new <laughs> things to do today, so I'm not going to keep you, man. But listen, I don't want to have to wait five years to talk to you again. So let's get the next record out. In a no, no. Gonna, again. Yeah, I'm going to definitely try. We're trying to keep, get back into, we're at a point where we, we're able to do some chunks and, and we've got a couple of things, other things going on for the rest of the year. So, um, I'm going to try to not be away as long. Everyone's saying the same thing to me. Don't stay away so long this time. You know, so thank you, Mike. Hey, my pleasure, Sal. When the world becomes undone, one of your finest pieces of music to date, man. The best of luck with the band. Likewise. All the best to you, Mike. You have a good one. Thank you. You too, Sal. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
named Death, End of Days. It was fun talking with Sal. Anytime I get to talk to a fellow Brooklynite, it's always a good time. All right, I'm able to get into the chat a little bit, but it seems like nobody else can besides my boys that managed to figure out a way to get in there. I guess they don't allow guests into the new chat room. I don't know how it works. I'll figure it all out on Monday, but uh, we got something going on right now, so we'll just keep it for as long as it lasts. All right, we're going to talk to Joe Hasselvan in about 15 minutes. We'll get on some more music between now and then. Uh, I was just saying in the chat room before that uh, we were talking about the Kit Festival and uh, Agent Steele's behavior. And uh, they were supposed to be playing in Germany tonight. I mean, the show would actually be over by now, being 7 o'clock over here in uh, in New York. Uh, It's probably close to 1, 2 o'clock in the morning over there. Uh, but I couldn't find anything, but I saw a post by the sound man who they hired for the tour saying he just quit the tour. He wouldn't get into details, he said, but it was, a, you know, it was a challenge he thought he could take on. <laughs> he can't do his job the way he wants to do it. So when your sound man quits the tour, you know, you know, you got a problem. So I don't know what happened at that show tonight or if they even played or not or whatever did happen was enough to cause him to say, you know what? I've had it. So <laughs> who the hell knows? We'll see what happens. Maybe tomorrow will be some more Facebook posts about it. All right, let's get back to the music. How about some Man of War, Swords of the Highlands?
be beware of the copyright infringement. Aftershock, beware of the night. John just pointed out to me when the song came on, I was like, why does this riff sound so familiar? I just couldn't put my finger on who it was. And John's like, it sounds like Godzilla Miracle Man. Even the guitar sound and tone outside of that, you know, little twang thing that Zach does, it sounds like, you know, Ozzy and, and Zach. The band's out of Pittsburgh, uh, PA. They came out in, I want to say, the mid-90s. Uh, but the first record didn't hit till 2002. The band features Vic Hicks uh, from Shock Paris on vocals. Uh, this is one of his bands back in the day. I think he was on the first two records. And they put a new one out called uh, Detonate, I believe, in 2016 with a, with a different vocalist. I'm not 100% sure. But, man, I mean, even the solo sounds a lot like Zach Wall. I just never realized it. And I really like that, that album, the Unfinished Business record and then the Burning Chrome record from 2005 with two solid albums. But now I've got to go back and listen to them all to see if they kind of copied any other riffs. But you know what? Listen, being in a band myself, there were a lot of songs I wrote that I thought I sounded really great. My band put them together. We worked on them. We got the songs down well. And then a couple of months later, somebody comes to the studio and say, hey, you know what? That sounds like this band. That sounds like that band. We're like, Holy shit, it does. <laughs> Sometimes you just, honestly, you, you know, there's a difference between, like, stealing a riff like some bands have, you know, like Kingdom Come, like, completely ripping off Led Zeppelin. I mean, the guitar riff, the sound, the vocals, that was a pure and blatant ripoff. But there are a lot of bands that just, you know, the song's just ingrained in their head from hearing it, and they, they come up with a riff and they think it's their own. It does happen more often than you think. Sometimes bands catch it, sometimes they don't, <laughs> you know? I, I know that feeling, but... They were still a good band after Shock. Rival Sons, yep, they're another band like that, too. <laughs> Absolutely, John. I agree with you 100%. All right, we got, uh, I don't know, Joe's going to call in in a couple of minutes. Uh, so maybe I'll play something really short, really quick. How about New Enforcer? Eamon's been asking me for a couple of weeks. and searching for you.
New Enforcer, Search of Few. I like the new record. Like I was saying, it's a little pop metal in some spots, but still a good band, and I'm glad that they're around. I was just waiting another minute or two for Joe to call in. I'm not going to play any more music, and uh, we'll just hang out, wait on Joe. He should be calling any minute now. High spirit sound. Yeah, exactly, John. It does have a little high spirit sound to them. I agree 100% with you. I see that Anvil are getting ready to go back into the studio in October to record a brand new record. Anvil have become like the little band that couldn't, you know? They just they keep putting out records. You know, the documentary kind of brought them back to the attention of, you know, the masses of the metal crowds, but it really went nowhere. You know, after like that first tour that they went out on when they were playing the movie and then like doing a Q&A and then playing live, after that, things just kind of settled down and Anvil kind of went right back into that same rut again where people just don't care. I mean, I've seen them once or twice since the movie and the place was empty. Outside of that festival in New Jersey, that benefit show, uh, for the Old Bridge Militia that they put on a few years back where it was a really nice-sized crowd. But you had Twisted Sister headlining the show. T.T. Quick were reuniting for that show. Uh, there were a couple of other bands on the bill uh, besides Anvil. Uh, Raven were on the bill. It was a great show, and it was a pretty packed house. But I've, I've saw them a couple of other times in Brooklyn at the St. Vitus Bar, and, you know, very small crowds, not many people showing up anymore. And if you watch a lot of the videos of the band from other places they play, uh, you know, the crowds just aren't there for them anymore. I mean, when you really when you think about it, you listen to the records. I love those first two. Even the, even Forge and the Fire I'll go up to. I love those three Anvil records. But everything after that just kind of came repetitive. I mean, it was the exact sound, and same sound in albums, same sound in riffs. Nothing ever changed with the band. I mean, you know, a lot of fans will say that's great. I hate when my bands change, but sometimes there's a bit of monotony to it. You know, I'm not looking for them to become a new metal band or change their sound drastically, but, you know, it's just the same repetitive stuff over and over again. That's the problem. I mean, in a way, I kind of wish like Metallica would be repetitive and repeat those earlier records. I was watching a video, I think it was on Access last night, a concert of theirs, I think from France from a few years back. Uh, outside of watching, you know, uh, Robert Trulio doing that crib walk for two and a half hours, uh, it wasn't really that bad of a show, you know. <laughs> I actually kind of enjoyed it, and I haven't really enjoyed Metallica in a very long time. I was also watching the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction. I'm not really into that, and I don't really care who gets in. It doesn't mean nothing to me. You know, we, if I'm a fan of you and your music and your band, you're a Hall of Famer in my mind. I don't need to see you win an award for it. But I was hoping that Pete Willis uh, would have showed up and maybe performed with Def Leppard. Uh, it didn't happen. I mean, you know, Brian May was up on stage with them, uh, Stevie Van Zant, a few other people. Uh, I think Ian Hunter was up there playing. So it was pretty cool to see that. Uh, but I was really just hoping for Pete Willis to be there. But I'm glad that when, you know, when Joe Elliott gave his speech in the beginning of the night, uh, that he, you know, he started off by talking about Pete Wilson, how he formed the band. I thought that was pretty cool because let's face it, those early records, most of that music was written by Pete Wilson. Those were the great Def Leppard records and those killer songs. He was a part of it. If he stood in the band after that, I mean, he actually was on Pyromania. I mean, he wrote a lot of that music too, and he played, you know, most of the rhythm on there. Uh, Phil did, I think, a lot of the leads after he joined the band during the recording of it. Would the band have been as big as they were if he was still in there? I don't know. It's hard to say. I mean, I don't contribute the band's success to Phil Cullen joining the band. You know, it just was their time and place. But would they have maintained it or sustained it afterwards with Pete being in there? I don't know. But you know what? He did go on the Gog Magog, if that means anything, which I don't really think it does. But, you know, I was hoping that he would have been there. for. It. But at least they acknowledged him. And, you know, musically, they sounded pretty good. Uh, you know, uh, Joe Elliott doesn't have the range that he had, you know, 25 years ago. Uh, but he was always singing at a much higher pitch than his actual voice would allow him to, because that's what the songs required a call for back then, the way they were writing. Uh, so it's a little bit more monotone right now. But, you know, listen, you know, 
30 years of singing, your voice kind of, you know, it takes its toll. All right, I'm still waiting for Joe. He should have called in a few minutes ago. Haven't heard from him yet. Maybe we'll jump into another tune. I'll see if I can find a, a quick little ditty. And uh, we'll do that. Let me see what we got right here. That's way too long. Ah, matter of fact, speaking of the devil, here we go. All right, let's get Joe on the line. Joe, it's Mike. How are you? I'm doing good, Mike. It's good to hear from you, man. Hear you. You too. It's been a long time. I'm doing okay. Good. I hope you're feeling well. I've been concerned about you. Yeah, I've been doing good, man. I came out out of it, but I'm good. (laughs) Oh, good. I'm happy for you, man. I'm happy. I I, I think I'm more happy that the House of Hasselvand are back and uh, new music is being worked on. That's a big thing. Yeah, it's well, well, it's good. I mean, um, I had a time, a little bit of time to, uh, you know, I had to get myself together and, and it, you know, physically and and stuff uh, after my, you know, I had a heart attack. So, it wasn't a terrible one, but you know, I had to get get change my lifestyle in certain ways, just little things. I'd already done that, but it was, uh, it happened, and um, but I was able to really listen to some older music stuff that I haven't listened to since I was really a little kid, you know, and yeah. some of these bands that wrote, they weren't necessarily uh, heavy metal. They were rock and roll, but they had, they wrote some great songs and I kind of been focusing on, on uh, getting the simplicity back. So, you know, and, uh, and bringing a good vocalist in, of course, Bob Mitchell's going to be doing that with me, uh, singing with me in the new hounds. So, yeah, that that's pretty cool. I, I was surprised because you know you've always handled the vocals in the band, and but you've worked with Bob before in the past. Also, you guys have played and recorded yeah. together, so it's cool to see Bob being a part of this. And you know, I mean, musically, are you gonna? I mean, you had the Ancient Rocks record out about two or three years ago where you covered a lot of classic songs, but is this gonna kind of pick up where like Midnight Howler left off, or are you going in a whole new direction because of what's been listening? I'm you know, going. I would say. I'm definitely listening. What I'm doing is a little more, uh, you know, there's there's a little bit of doom metal mixed in there, but a lot of it is, um, you know, it's just kick-ass hard rock, very loud hard rock. Um, You know, some of it a little bit like old Montrose or something, a little of that kick-ass, you know, stuff. So um, I'm just going for for some of that because, you know, Bob, with Bob being a singer, uh, I could do a lot more things because he's very melodic and uh, he can he can really make a song make or break a song. And if I have the right material for him, uh, especially for you know the choruses and things in the songs, that, where he can do something with it. So that's I'm writing for him in a way. I'm also kind of just trying to bring back some of the things I listened to as a kid, the things that made me want to play music. You know, I'm kind of going back to those styles. Some of them very old. <laughs> But, but that's uh, you good know, because keeping it heavy. It's all heavy metal, yeah. though. At the end of the day, that's all that matters, Joe. I mean, you know, people consider yeah. you the Godfather, do from everything you've done, from like you know, Death Row to Saint Vitus to the Hounds, and I mean, but you've done so many other things besides that too. But you've always gotten, you know, labeled into that, and they expect it from you. But you've done so much more. Yeah, I've done a lot. I mean, you know, I've um, I like all kinds of music, so I like to experiment with everything. I mean, from I've done, I've done, uh, you know, I've done fusion jazz records. I've done uh, flamenco guitar records where I'm playing the, you know, percussion. I've done a lot of things, but uh, just to, you know, to have experience and uh, everything, uh, every different type of music I do is always something great to have that experience when you go on and do a new record. You bring some of these, you know, different 
things to the table that you wouldn't normally, you know, do. Like every, for the most bands, they all sound like Iron Maiden, you know, if they're doing yeah. melodic power metal. And that's cool and all, because I like all that. But uh, there's so many to do when you could be doing, you could be, you know, going in a, uh, your own direction that's yours, you know. And that's that's what I want to do, something something like that. And uh, just uh, trying to, to get, Bob is a good guy, and, uh, you know, he's been wanting to do this a long time, him and I, and uh, for one reason or another, we couldn't actually get in the studio at the same time together, or something happened, but this time we're going to, you know, we, we've got a, a few labels looking at the band, and it's all it's all good right now. That's a beautiful thing. How far along are you? Are you guys just putting the music together right now? Is there anything completed, or are you still in the, that process? Yeah, we've got... We, we have about a, you know, we have about half a rec, half of an album's worth of material at the moment, and uh, we're just kind of focusing on those and making sure that um, Bob has just the right lyrics and things. And then, uh, you know, we're going to shoot, we'll probably record those and then do another write and, and I'll be writing some more material. Of course, I have lots of stuff. I just have to find the right thing for Bob. And uh, that's how that's that's how it's been going. But uh, the, the, we've had a tremendous uh, uh, outpouring of people on the uh, on the on the social media site that Bob put together on uh, Facebook. And uh, because I really don't do that much anymore, you know, uh, I've got I've got so much to do in my life. But um, he does a good job with it, and, and a lot of people have uh, come in and are following, and that's really good. We were. Uh, really surprised how many people are are on the site there so and following what's yeah. happening so well, and now, a, yeah, a lot of people missed you. Dates too, so. yeah a lot of people missed you i mean you know there was the announcement that you know you you were uh, leaving raven for a while to take care of your health and then you know nobody heard from you for a couple of years because you know you had to get yourself back together you know that's a big thing to come recover from so we thought you were going to go back to raven after that happened next thing you know the whole Raven thing is over. I mean, after 30 years, how does that happen? Was that something on your part? Well, uh, well just um, <laughs> let's just put it this way. I, I could tell you, I love those guys, and uh, I spent 30 years with them. Um, but there comes a time where, especially after something like that happens to you, like uh, something health-wise, I have to look at things differently now. I mean, I have to be be really caring about it's not a selfish thing, but I really have to be caring about what I'm doing. I have to take yeah. the time about what what is the music I'm playing, and what I found myself playing everybody else's music is what I ended up with, and uh, with all the bands I played with, and it was fine and all, but um, I never get to put my twist on the way I want to, and uh, I've, I've done these solo records and things, and uh, I didn't get to pay as much attention to that part of my uh career, whatever you would call it, uh, you know, I didn't have to, I, I, I have more attention towards that now, and I think it's a good thing, because um, I'm writing better songs than I've ever written, and uh, I'm enjoying it a lot more, I have to play guitar now, drums are, are really not an option to play on the road and stuff, uh, I will be playing the drums on the record, because you, you can do that, I don't have to sit there and uh, play a whole concert, you know. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, sure. Play one song at a time, you know, it's very easy, but but um, I can't be on the road and playing the drums at, at, and with uh, the things that have happened and when it's not suggested. So I, they, but they gave me an okay to play guitar 
and uh, that's fine as long as you're just hey if you're just standing there playing the guitar that's awesome that's all you need you know that that won't hurt you so I have to think about these things I've been pushing it a long time Mike a long long time and yeah. uh, pushing really hard since uh, 1965 so uh, here I am today yeah. you know. <laughs> Yeah, it's time for you to do your thing. And I get that because, you know, most drummers are in a position where they play drums. They're not songwriters, a lot of them, and they don't play other instruments. So, you know, they're happy to get behind the kit and do what they do because they, they contribute their end of it. But you are a musician who writes his own, you know, you write your own music, you play guitar, you sing, you do everything. So I can imagine, you know, kind of feeling stifled too in a way, not being able to get your own stuff yeah. out there all the time, you know, so that's difficult. Yeah, it's good. And, I, I you know, um, I, I, hey, I like having having you know I've had some great drummers I play with that played with me before that hey I really enjoy hearing somebody else's drumming behind my guitar playing it's a, that's a whole new thing to me too so um, uh, you know we look we have a guy now we're looking at and uh, we're going to be uh, checking it out in a few days and uh, see how he goes and uh, but uh, it's all coming together pretty good and um, you know we have a gig in November. A few and then a, a few others that are that are coming up. So people want want us to play, and uh, people are anxious to hear what, what what Bob and I what kind of a hybrid band that Bob and I can come up with. And uh, so far, I'm liking everything I'm hearing. So yeah, that that should be interesting live because you know obviously Bob will be singing on the new material that you guys are putting together. But then I'm guessing on the old stuff, you're going to take over the vocal part of that, unless Bob's going to do the vocals on it. Yeah, some of it. I mean, I'm going to do some of it. Maybe one song. I'll do backing vocals for him. You know, he's because I'm going to let Bob sing that because I really can just concentrate on the guitar part. Um, I've got to make this very easy for me. You know, to I yeah. really have to think simplicity. Just go out, play the guitar parts. Great for everyone, and uh, not be worried about although all of you know did the vocal and have, am I do I remember the lyrics? I'll, I'll, I don't have to worry about that and. Uh, Bob's really good, covers that beautifully. So, and uh, I just like his voice, man. He's a good guy. He reminds me of he um, reminds me of uh, the old singer for Deep Purple, Rod Evans. That's what he for, to me. That's what he sounds like. And I, I really love that guy's vocals. So, I'm sure I'm sure it's going to be good. I, I mean, Joy, I think back of your whole career. I mean, you know, I mean, people are always going to put a pentagram as like you know as your pinnacle because of what they contributed and created in the scene. But I mean, you know, there's Mind Assassin, Guardian of the Flames, Thirty Years of Raven, Phantom Lord. I mean, too many. I mean, even even a stint in Blue Cheer. I mean, Devil's Child, Black yeah. Manta. There's too many bands to name. But I mean, when you think what you've done over the years, it's it's amazing. You know, <laughs> the amount of bands you've played in, what you've contributed. Yeah, I've done. Hey, I've done a lot. I've kept busy. You know. Um... And uh, sometimes I had to keep food on the table because uh, music doesn't pay great, man. But, I mean, not all the time. Sometimes it does, but uh, a lot of times, you know, it it's, uh, barely pays for itself just to go out and tour. But, um, you know, you got to keep moving. And uh, I love music, man. I love, to, I love music a lot. And I'm still just like a kid when I've heard my first Rolling Stones record. I'm still like, wow, I've got to do that. I'm still like that. So, um you know, and it's, at this time, I really, it's, I think it's going to be a lot more fun this time around because I'm already having fun with this. This is a, a better, it's really a neat um, uh, experience with uh, this band and what's happening with it. And uh, I think it, it, it's going to go places. I really do. And 
already, you know, with people wanting to book the band, we're not even, we don't even have the drummer yet, and they're ready to book us in. So, um, you know, we're going to do it. It's, it's going to be awesome. It is. I think you got a show in New Jersey and Dingbats coming up uh, towards the end of the summer, maybe going into the fall. Uh, if yeah, I remember seeing like that, that on the heard, site. Yeah, I heard something about that. I like that place. I played there a few times. Yeah, I can't wait for that one because that's not too far from me, so I get to come see you live again. It'll be pretty uh, cool. All right. <laughs> that's going to be a great show. But, yeah, you know, Joe, I mean, like, the amount of years you've been in this business, I mean, I'm talking about the business part of it. You've seen the changes that have taken place throughout the decades, yes. from the 70s to the 80s to the 90s. I mean, as a yeah. musician, I mean, do you, do you fight the change that's coming, or do you try to fight it to keep it the way it was, or do you kind of have to, like, adapt to survive, you know? And is it hard to adapt to some of the changes where they really alter the, the outcome of how a band makes money or how a band, you know, survives in the business? Yes. Well, it's just, you know, in the old days, you had a, um, if you got in, if you had a good song, a, just a really good song, and some radio, a, a local radio station would pick your your little song up, even if it was a demo, they'd play it, and then you'd get this great, all of a sudden you get this great fan base from it, and uh, you could be the top dog in your town and actually make great money, And because the, the radio stations were always supporting the live music in, a, in the area. Of course, that's not the way it is anymore. It's it's different. It's all on a global scale and all this, you know. And uh, it's a, it's a big world, <laughs> and there's a lot of bands in it. I can tell you. Um, but uh, it, it's it's changed. Uh, I, what I see for heavy metal and stuff. I mean, we, I've played those festivals, all the festivals in Europe. You know, grass pop and Bangerhead and all this in uh, Vakken and all those things. But uh, you know, it's really. In a way, it's it's a lot of old bands that, I mean, old guys <laughs> playing heavy heavy rock, and these new bands are it's mostly made up of new bands, but they don't get a chance to get paid. Number one, and number two, they don't uh, they really don't get anything out of it except that they can come play the next year or something, but it really doesn't do much to further their career. Whereas something like that in the old days, you would have been talked about for. For oh god, years and years after that, after your yeah. performances and something like that. Now it's so, it's really doesn't. It's really filled with a lot of old bands that really. And I hate to say this because I'm an old cat myself, but some of these people ought to just hang it, hang it up, and let some of the kids do this. Let these opening, these bands that are opening for them, it's their time, because if they don't push through this, there really won't be any more hard rock. There won't be any more. I mean, it'll be really strange what's coming. I think it's going to become a more cottage industry thing um, as time goes on here. But that's okay. I mean, it's really okay. It's uh, You don't have a lot of powers that be are not behind heavy metal. They're behind this other stuff that's, well, I don't want anything to do with it. I don't want to sell my soul to play for some some guy that, you know, is pushing pharmaceuticals on the world, killing people. You know, that's, that's, that's who's, uh, you know, pushing these bands, that kind of stuff. I don't want to be part of that. Uh, it's about the, it's that the whole thing is being independent. And I guess in the old days, being independent meant being uh, rebellious. And that's why we did it. That's why we played rock and roll. But now it's, um, you know, it's about, it's really about being independent, being an independent band or, uh, you know, and even an yeah. independent record label is preferable sometimes to a big major 
thing that's that, that you'll never get paid. You won't even pay for your for anything. They'll put your music out there, but you're really not gonna get to the people. Your songs might, but you might not get out there. Anyway, it's very difficult. It's much different yeah. than it was. And even in the 70s, even the 80s was a different deal. It really was because, you know, MTV sold everything then. But now they, you know, they threw away uh, hard rock, heavy metal a long time ago. So, well, It's like everything else, Joe. You know, like in the 50s, you know, that music died out in the 60s and it came back in the 80s. Yep. The 60s music died out and it came back to, and yep. at a different level. And it was at a sustainable level for a lot of artists. Yep. So they you know, make enough money to survive and be comfortable. Uh, but like today, yes. it's just like it says, with these young kids today, I mean, we're not going to be here forever, you and I. You know, <laughs> time on earth is limited, and we're getting yeah. close, you know, yet, unfortunately. And, and when we're yeah. gone, and ACDC is gone, and, and you know, and, and all the big arena bands are gone, who's going to play? Who's going to entertain the rock fans? It's, it's like a genre-killing thing, in a way. You're only going to have pop music where they could generate artists, you know, in a studio and just kick them out there for yeah. a couple of years, make the money, and do it again with a new group. Yeah, well, there's so, there's so many up-and-coming bands that are just fabulous, and there has been. But they never got to, I mean, they put a record out, maybe two records out. But uh, these, like I said, they get lost in the um, shuffle. I mean, really, they're a, a flash in the pan. They they play a few great dates. Maybe they open for, you know, a big band like Black Sabbath or something a couple of times. They have some notoriety, then they're gone. Years ago, that band would have lasted five or six years. You know, if they kept writing good material, they would have been there. Yeah. But they don't have the chance that they once had. So because every anybody could put on a CD now, you know, every all these studios are in people's houses and stuff now. It's not, you know, it's a different deal. It's so much easier to get it out, get the product out there. So you know, it's it's yeah. it's strange, but I roll with it. It's it's fine. I love to play music, which whatever way I can get that get it to them, to the fans. That's that's all that's important to me, really. No, I agree with you one hundred percent. It is it's so easy today. Like I said, people have studios in their homes. They can record music yeah. and even print the CDs in the house today. And because it's so global yeah. and it's so big today, it is a massive market to try to take on in one shot if you're an unknown artist. Yes. And that's as long as we're always open. I'm, we're, we're open, you know. I, there's uh, I'm, a lot of things I have. I put in my record tr- contracts. I'm looking for you know these people. I want them to. You know, putting some of my music out to to actually be in soundtracks and stuff like that for for independent films, anything like that. I'm always up for that because uh, I've got enough songs that they can extract a, a good portion in a, for a movie for things. You know, and I've, I've been on a couple. I've written a couple of things for movies in the past, and uh, you get paid pretty good, and uh, it's awesome. It gets it gets out there. You know, it's. People, uh, it sits well with people when they hear it, you know, something in a movie. They never forget the song they heard in there, so. Yeah. Well, Joe, who else is in the band besides you and Bob? I mean, I know you do all the instruments in the studio, but as far as the live band goes, I know you're working on the drummer. Do you have somebody lined up for bass yet? We have, uh, we have, we have somebody playing bass right now. His name's, uh, Paulie Kranick, and, uh, he played with, uh, um, He's played with a lot of different bands. He's done, you know, recorded and toured, toured and stuff. Uh, more of a in the hardcore scene. I can't remember the name of his band, uh, but they were. I remember um, seeing him play, and uh, you know, and down in Connecticut and stuff. And uh, he's playing bass with me and uh, 
But uh, and and uh, there's, there's going to be. I'm gonna have a couple of guest people too. I might have uh, you know Marty from Pentagram playing play a couple of songs on the record too from Place nice. and Bass because he's awesome. He's kind of limited to what he can do, but he he said I'd love, love to come up and you know play you know play on a couple of songs. I said sure, and uh, he's always good. So that should be fun. I mean, Joe, you've yep. played with some characters over the years. I mean, I think of all the bands you've been in, the people you've played with. I mean, outside of Bobby, I mean, was there anybody in any band that when you got done playing with that band, you said to yourself, I don't know how I survived this. I don't know how I made it through my tenure with this band. Oh, that was, uh, well, I tell you, there was two two bands like that. I think um, Cathedral was the hardest, I think, in uh it was probably not even. It was. It was nobody's fault that we were thrown together very quickly for that Black Sabbath tour of '94 because their their drummer left and their guitar player left, and um, we called uh, Victor and I called, you know, Lee Dorian and uh, and he said, yeah, we, you know, we want to bring it over now. We, they told us one set of songs to do. Here's what you're going to play. Okay, so we learned all that, and we got there. And they go, we're not playing any of those. Well, we've got two days to rehearse, and I've gone on this world tour with these guys. And yeah. uh, we're thinking, so it was really difficult, of course. And, um, but it, were, it was it was kind of a pressurized tour. We were, um, we became like uh, really, I don't know, we became the, the fifth wheel on this whole tour. Like we were the really the bummer about the tour. Not because of our playing, it's just that, um, we were more doom metal than Black Sabbath. They were more, uh, I don't know, they were just more commercial at that time for, um, oh, what was the uh, the album? Um, Cross Purposes was the album. Yeah. And uh, they were just a little more, it was more like a little, kind of, it was more like a rainbow or something. It wasn't, it was not the Sabbath you and I have grew up with. It was not at yeah. all. And, uh, but they were good, but 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 Cathedral were more, you know, something. We we sounded more like the first Sabbath album or something like. You know, we had that rawness and uh, it uh, it. I don't know. I I don't think they were real happy about that when uh, we were <laughs> because we we and some of the places we played in like Italy and stuff. Uh, after we played, they everybody left. It, we opened for them, but nobody stayed for for Sabbath because they they came to see. Cathedral, I mean, and it was like that with them, and then the um, Savoy Brown was uh, like that also as well, <laughs> and that was, you know, I'm playing with a bunch of old blues British rockers, and uh, and the guy, the, the Kim Simmons, the guitar player, goes, oh, come on now, Joe, you know this isn't Alice Cooper. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, cause you know, cause we we had big hair, and it's you know, we, we were MTV'd out, and he just he didn't get it. And, and quite frankly, I don't blame them now that I look back at those, <laughs> well, the way we all looked back then, you know, the, the hairspray and the makeup and all that Nazi stuff. And um, But uh, he didn't get it. And uh, But I look back, it was a great it was a great band. It was a great learning experience because they put on a great rock show. They really did. Of course, we had uh, Gary Borden there was our bass player, and uh, Duck McDonald was playing guitar also, and Jimmy Coons was singing with us. It was it was an awesome band, uh, but we never really got signed, and uh, so 
and I think Kim couldn't, he couldn't handle it. We were too young, and he was, he was a little older than us, and we're just too wild for him. Yeah, yeah, those are some great plays you just mentioned right there. You know, ducking all of them, some great Gary yeah. on base, some oh, great yeah, people to play unbelievable with. people. Yeah. Oh, very lucky to play with them. That was, I mean, an experience. I mean, Gary's my base, favorite bass players. It was amazing. He's an amazing person, you know. Um, definitely a really nice guy, really easy to work with, and uh, that was cool. It was a good experience, but that was it was unnerving, and it was never quite right, and uh, we weren't really going anywhere fast, so, because yeah. uh, we, we just a, and we're a great band. It's just that uh, uh, there was a lot of no-shows and stuff, because uh, record company people were coming, and uh, I don't think he really wanted to make it. <laughs> He didn't want to make it with us. That's that's really what it came down to. That's probably what it was, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know, oh, yeah. I, I wanted to ask you once before in the past that I, I kept forgetting. I had a tape of a band called Helion back in the early 80s, maybe 81, 82. And I remember somebody yes. saying you were part of that, but I don't remember you actually being a part of the band. Was was there some other involvement no, I, with that I, band? I, I wasn't. They were my, they were my uh, all of them real good friends of mine, and they used to open for um, Death Row. In the old days, before we were calling ourselves Pentagram, they we would have them open for us in another band called Asylum. But they were both really young kids who could play really great hard rock. They were just both bands were great, so we'd always have them open, and uh, they had their own fan base, and uh, so we you know packed the house when we play. And uh, they uh, the guitar player uh, Norman Lawson, he used to play with Link Ray, so. He's played with, you know, he's put done the old rock and roll circuit too, and um, and then of course uh, they had uh, they morphed into a band called Factory in the end, and uh, we're playing in New York a lot in those days. But uh, yeah, I helped them, uh, I helped them write a couple of songs or stuff, but they were really just good friends, and uh, they were a good band to count on. And a you know to play with you, open for you. They were always a good support band. Oh, okay. I, I always wondered about that because I, if I remember, I, I know the drummer Stewart passed away a couple of years yes. ago, but he was a Pentagram for yeah. a little while too. I think like sometime yeah. in the mid '80s for a while. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Stewart and uh, and uh, Joe Gillette and uh, uh, Brian uh, Roman was their bass player. Yeah, I remember, I remember them well. We went down to we actually went it was Death Row and um, Hellion. We went down to and played the uh, Knoxville World's Fair back in back in the day when that was there. We played a, a big club there and uh, it was a big deal. And they had us come down and uh, and uh, it was it was it was awesome times. That was in, that was in the days where, that no one was doing that type of music. I remember uh, that. The, the heavy metal people or, or hard rock people hated Pentagram and Death Row and Hellion and all. They hated us. The people that liked us were the punk rock people. That's who took us in. And I had we were so we were really like an old retro rock band. And uh, but that's what they liked because we were real. So they accepted us. They we didn't you know come out there like Led Zeppelin. We came out there like you know. Like Sir Lord Baltimore or some band like that. We just had the, the old, you know, the old guard sound, and they they respected that. 
Just like I mean with Johnny Cash, same they love Johnny Cash too. So yeah, he, he, bunch his, of people. His, uh, yeah, his hardcore, his hardcore punks people is what brought him out of retirement basically and brought him back. And that happens sometimes, and I think Bobby they could identify with him because you know he has his own problems, and you take one look at him, and you know he's been through a lot. Like like a whole lot if you've seen the movie about him and uh that should tell you. But uh and uh, I've heard from him. I actually heard from him. He called me uh right after I had my uh incident, my heart attack. He called he was the only person that actually called me to see how I was doing and uh so uh and he sounds really good. I mean he's uh, he's really straightened his life up a whole lot. Well, that's good for him. It's, it's you know? amazing. It's really amazing. It's because of his, his kid, and uh, it, life's worth living. Worth staying alive to to you know be be around his kid for a long while, and yeah. which is good. It saved, it saved him, and he's really good now. He's back out on the road, and I'm real happy for him that he's he's still going. You know, still kicking kicking ass and taking names. And, you know, if that's what it takes to straighten you out, then God bless. You know, if it works, you know, it's a good thing. It's a beautiful thing. Yeah, it really is, really. Uh, hey, well, Joe, I only got 10 minutes left in the show. I want to play some music okay. by the hounds. So it was great catching up with you, man. I mean, we got to keep in touch. You know, I will see you when you come to New Jersey. I'm looking forward to yes, seeing you sir. and Bob at the hounds and hearing some new music, man. So, you know, bring it. And I'm glad you're feeling better, and I'm glad you're getting back to the music again, my friend. All right, man, and uh, everybody out there, Mike's the man. He's he plays, he brings the music, man. So crank it up. That's you, Joe. Right, You're the man. You, take care, buddy. You take care, Mike. Bye bye. Good talk to you again. Feel good. Take care. Bye bye, Mr. Joe Hassavan, the one class act. I love that guy. I'm glad he's feeling better, and I'm glad he's healthy, and I'm even happy that he's putting out some brand new music. Let's get on some hounds, heavy than. <laughs>
tonight's show. I'm glad he's feeling better. It's been way too long since we spoke, and uh, I'm glad that he was here with us tonight. I also want to thank Sal Abruscato from A Pale Horse Named Death. The band is out on tour right now. Check them out. Pick up their newest record. They did a great job on it. All right, let me see here. Next week, it's May. I can't believe it's May already. Uh, we might only have two shows in May because I'm on vacation the week of May 11th, so I know there's no show that week. And uh, right now, we don't have any guests booked for the end of the month for Memorial Day weekend. So if we don't get anybody booked live that weekend, we might just take it off and enjoy a nice long three-day weekend. If not, we will be here doing a show. But last week, I got a message. He said, Mike, I'd love to be on your show. He says, can we hook something up? I said, absolutely. So next week, Stacy T from Sound Battery will be on the show, along with Elliot Madre of Salvation. And we got a few other guests lined up for the following weeks, which we'll announce on the website and the Facebook page coming up this week. But let's close things out right now with a little venom. Let's go back to the very beginning when tape trading was killing music, and so was venom. Here's Witching Hour. Take care, everybody. Have a great week, and I'll see you next Sunday night.
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.